in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people trying to cross the border And politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be led I've gotta be free the way God made men And I won't be ruled by the damn Right to self-defense They say you're safer but they don't make sense Dangerous ones will not turn in the guns All the unions always ask for more All we buy is made on foreign shores Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay I've gotta be free The way God made Welcome to today's broadcast of Tap Into The Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you, as always, I am your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee, and glad to have you along for the ride. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you may be listening from. It is, in fact, Sunday. We are back to the regular schedule. Uh, we are broadcasting on February the 12th, 2023, and uh, it's been a heck of a weekend. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen this much news and information breaking during the weekend, and uh, yeah, I, I got mixed feelings because it kind of feels like a cover-up more so than uh, truth. And, of course, I'm talking about the multiple sightings, the ongoing incidents of strange, unidentified objects just floating in and out of American airspace and, and into Canada. Now, we talked a little bit on the Friday live show, where, of course, we're broadcasting live on WCET-FM in South Carolina, as well as on the Vera Network at Tuned In, and, of course, on uh, talk stream live also associated with the Vera network as well as a little last frequency dot com uh, when we do that I was talking with Ron Edwards in the second hour and we talked a little bit about the big news of the day Friday where we shot down one of these balloons we've just been getting more and more details all weekend long but today Sunday 
we had airspace over northern Michigan shut down for a while because of a national defense situation. And uh, it's been reopened just a little while before I started uh, broadcasting. But we've gotten more and more details about all these different various items that have been shot down and and uh, pilots talking about how their interactions went and how there didn't seem to be known forms of propulsion. And, and, and all this, uh, our communications and sensors were jammed. It seems to be a way of letting us know that there's a whole lot more spy craft that's been going on, and uh, some of it is being it's being released to us in a fashion that almost kind of makes you think that they're hoping some of the more tinfoil haddish among us might start talking about, you know, alien-operated UFOs, as opposed to the standard unidentified flying object, which is nine times out of ten, uh, either something that's misidentified, or clearly man-built craft designed specifically for intelligence-gathering operations. Of course, some folks are saying, well, naturally we're seeing a lot more of it now because we've started looking. Uh, I don't think that's all there is to it. We also got some uh, news. Uh, James Comer, uh, of course, he's a legislator here in the United States, He's talking about how the Hunter Biden probe is critical for a legislative fix, you know, so we can try to solve the problem of politicians breaking the law. Yeah, I think it's going to take more than that. That's the big reason why so many of these folks typically t try to become elected officials in the first place. They want to be lawmakers so that, number one, they can work in loopholes for themselves, and number two, so they know exactly what the law is, so they know the best ways to break them if they have to. We've also got news talking about Gretchen Whitmer, a governor of the great state of Michigan, defending her use of TikTok even though a majority of states now and all of Congress and the United States military has banned the use of TikTok on all military devices, well, I'm sorry, all government devices, um, evidently Gretchen says, rules for thee, not for me. Anyway, there's still continuing counts on the death toll as a result of one of the worst earthquakes that's happened in recorded history, that of course being the one uh, where Turkey and Syria, uh, it, it's just, it's horrific. The death toll currently has gone north of 33,000, and there's probably going to be a lot more than that by the time it's all said and done. It's just not a very good thing. And of course, there is news in regard to John Fetterman that I haven't really gotten into at this point. We'll take a look at some of that. Uh, but I wanted to actually start with a story about the New Jersey girl, the 14-year-old who committed suicide. Again, we talked a little bit about that Friday night with Ron, but I didn't really get into it. And I said that we would probably address it more today. Not only are we going to, but... There's been an update to the story. There's more breaking news. But before we talk about that, I need to talk to you a little bit about our sponsor for today's show, that being 
forpatriots.com. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, For Patriots is on board with us, and they want me to make sure that you know about the brand new product that they're really, really trying to promote, that, of course, being the brand new Patriot Power Generator 1800, streamlined and improved over the previous generations of Patriot Power Generator. Now, here's some things you need to know before I even go into the sales pitch. If you're not familiar with the fact, we even have the United States government trying to warn us about the inherent dangers of gas-powered safety backup electric generators. Talking about the Consumer Product Safety Commission in this case, and they put out a relatively recent report talking about the dangers of carbon monoxide carbon monoxide fatalities and uh, it's pretty scary when you think about it because here's the thing for those of you that are familiar with gas powered electric generators then you know that there's a lot of safety protocols that you have to follow but what has happened over the years it's been as it's become more and more common knowledge for folks to uh, realize that they become more affordable, you can operate them better, you can go pick them up at supply stores here and there, but they don't know those fundamentals. How many of you guys have run into somebody where you've had to intervene and help them to set this up? Well, unfortunately, we don't always get to catch everybody before it's too late. So what I need to tell you about is a story about a, a family man by the name of Craig. See, Craig, he was a, a good husband, a good father, thought he was a good protector and a good provider. And so he got caught up in Hurricane Ida. He bought one of these gas generators and he fired it up. The problem is it was a little too close to the house. As a result, during the night, carbon monoxide built up and seeped into the house. And as a result, Craig woke up. Barely, and his wife and his two children had passed away. They were poisoned in their sleep by the carbon monoxide. And this is a pretty, pretty sad story. But as you know, Craig isn't alone in this story. What's even worse, Craig's tragedy, it didn't have to happen at all. Thanks to the new generation of portable, safe, silent, and 100% fume-free generators, Generators that are now available to all Americans, even those who think they might not be able to afford it. The Patriot Power Generator 1800 is a solar generator that doesn't use gas, so it doesn't have fumes. And instead of being loud like most gas power generators are, it's as quiet as a laptop. Plus, it's lightweight. You literally can just Pick it up and take it with you when you have to go somewhere. So if you wanted to take it camping or if you're in a legitimate bug out situation, whatever, you can do that with it. And the best part, again, no fumes means you can use it indoors with no risk. It's powerful enough to, to keep your phones charged up, charged up, powerful enough to keep your emergency radios charged up or even keep your refrigerator going. And right now, ladies and gentlemen, fine, fine listeners of this broadcast, you can go over to 4patriots.com, that's the number 4patriots.com, and use the promo code TAP to get 10% off your first 
purchase on anything in the store, including the Patriot Power Generators. Again, just go to 4Patriots.com, the number 4Patriots.com, and use promo code TAP at checkout. That's T-A-P-P. Use all caps on that one to get your 10% off and to get your generator today. All right, now, with me having successfully sold you on that, I know you're all over at 4Patriots.com right now, checking that out. Uh, don't forget to uh, use that promo code. Uh, every little bit helps in the Biden economy. Take that 10% off. And you're not limited, like I said, to just the generator, too. Lots of cool stuff there. Let's get to the story, shall we? See, the superintendent of the New Jersey School District of the young 14-year-old girl that we were talking about a little while ago, Adriana Kirch. Well, he resigned. He resigned his position over the weekend. Uh, it was official as of Sunday, February 12th. Uh, they made an announcement on Saturday, the school system itself, stating that they were accepting his resignation. But uh, he wasn't resigning over the incident itself. He was resigning over the fact that he made some pretty serious, and I'm going to, hold, I'm going to insinuate rather difficult to prove accusations at both the young girl who committed suicide and the young girl's father. You know, the father that was demanding justice, the father that was angry and upset that no police were called at the time of the assault, that the students involved not only were not referred to the police, but were only suspended and weren't prevented in any fashion from uploading the video of their brutal animalistic assault on this young girl. Background story here in case you haven't been keeping track of it or maybe haven't come across it at all, because again, if you're not paying attention to conservative news outlets, you're not going to hear this story anywhere else. The legacy media has no interest in presenting this because of the color of skin of the children involved in the story, and I will leave it at that. Adrian Kirch was found dead on February 3rd at her home in Bayville, New Jersey. The 14-year-old girl committed suicide just two days after she was assaulted at her school. Adriana's father, Michael Kirch, believes that his daughter committed suicide because she was violently attacked by bullies at her high school. Video of the brutal beatdown that took place at Central Regional High School in Berkeley Township was uploaded online. The distraught father was furious that school officials didn't contact the police to press charges against the four students who allegedly attacked his daughter. Four girls were suspended indefinitely for their alleged involvement in the attack. The superintendent of the school system claimed, quote, I don't believe a police report was done. We normally just suspend. If a parent wants to press charges, they can with the police. We're not going to double whammy a kid where they're suspended and then police charges as well. Now, before I go any further, I'd like to ask, why the heck not? That has become common practice in an overwhelming majority of schools across the country. 
And I can tell you it's pretty widespread because that's something that began before I graduated high school here in rural Tennessee. And if it's happening in the place where even most government employees do not want to get more involved than they have to with governmental activities, this being school and rules suspend you and it's up to the parents to do the rest. If there's any place where that's going to be the case, it's going to be in these parts of the country, my friend. You want to tell me in New Jersey they have a hands-off policy when it's bad enough that you're going to indefinitely suspend? I mean, in the minds of the administrators of the school system in a state like New Jersey that's run by leftists to the extent that New Jersey is, in their mind, the indefinite suspension is far, far worse than having police involvement to begin with. Oh, well, you know, uh, while they're suspended, we, we have a temporary amount of time that we're not able to properly indoctrinate these kids to make them more beastly and ghastly and, you know, uh, ready to attack and film those attacks on people for whatever reason, if there's a reason at all. At any rate, Michael Kirch, again, the father of the now-deceased 14-year-old girl, demanded justice for how the high school attack was handled. The superintendent of the school, who, you know, just on a side note, happens to reportedly make $190,000 a year, attempted to defend his position by making some rather eye-opening remarks about the deceased teen girl and the girl's father. In other words, don't look at me. Allow me to deflect my role and responsibility here and tell you some rather silly things that I can't necessarily prove, even though you're likely to believe me because I'm a person of position and authority. The superintendent in question, well, I guess at this point should say the former superintendent, thinking superintendent because I'm thinking this guy is a real, anyway. The superintendent, formerly of the school system, was talking to the Daily Mail and said that, quote, after Adriana's mother's suicide, since her father was having an affair at the end of her sixth grade, her father married the woman he had an affair with and moved her into the house. Her grades and choices declined in 7th and 8th grade. We offered her drug rehab and mental services on five occasions, but the father refused every time. This so-called school administrator said, we tried helping her several times, but mother's suicide was a, a major reason she started making poor choices. Now, Kirsch responded to the superintendent's claim, saying, I don't know how to respond to this insane deflection. This guy is a piece of, well, you can probably guess how he finished that. Kurs explained to the Daily Mail when they approached him that Adriana's mother battled addiction and died back in 2015, when Adriana was only seven years old. He denied the claims that Adriana was offered drug counseling. Kurtz admitted 
that he was trying to get help for his daughter, who had been smoking marijuana with a vape pen. A big, twisting pile of crap trying to deflect and defend the position that he knows more drastic action should have been taken to protect this girl. The former superintendent resigned, like I said, officially on Sunday, February 12th, time of the actual live broadcast here. Three of the students who were suspended on the February 1st incident were originally charged with third-degree felony assault, and a fourth student was hit with a disorderly conduct charge. However, Ocean County prosecutors upgraded the charges now. One girl was charged with aggravated assault, two were charged with conspiracy to commit aggravated assault, and another was charged with harassment. I... I'm left nearly wordless, which is really bad for a, a talk show host. The level of hypocrisy here in an effort to CYA for this former employee of the school district in New Jersey, a man who reportedly was earning nearly $200,000 a year to do his job, defends the actions of a policy where they don't involve the police at such a brutal level of assault? I mean, it wasn't like a one-pop deal and they were separated. It wasn't like, oh, they just kind of started wrestling around in the floor and it was done. This girl was aggressively and brutally assaulted, didn't know it was coming, and it wasn't let up until it was broken up by school employees. School employees who are also handcuffed by legal constraints in regards to what they're allowed to do in breaking up these fights. Meaning that if these girls had turned on these guys trying to pull them off of this victim, they would have had to sit there and take it. This is far from the only ridiculous story this past week in regards to teachers being assaulted. There was at least three of those stories this past week. At least three. Uh, but yet, of course, we, we clearly don't have a problem of any kind. There's nothing going on. There's nothing wrong in our school systems. There's nothing wrong with how the philosophies and the ideologies of the left are playing into the mindsets of what we see happening daily. The indoctrination as opposed to education. The complete lack of critical thinking that is presented as a life skill. The complete lack of personal responsibility being implanted as an actual virtue to try to follow and to live by. And certainly, certainly the idea that there should be no accountability for your actions because you're either a victim or you're an oppressor. And if you are an oppressor by virtue of being white, and that's the only requirement, and that's the only way to be an oppressor under this racial essentialism that they keep promoting and then denying that it's critical race theory because, you know, technically critical race theory is just a law theory that's only taught in 
prestigious law universities. So that's clearly not what we're teaching. They are teaching racial essentialism, which is the primary premise of critical race theory. So they're arguing a technicality, clearly uh, being argued by lawyers, so you know where it came from. There should be justice for this family. There should be justice. Whether we see any in this situation or not, well, it is New Jersey. And as much as I know there are a lot of great people living in the state of New Jersey, the people that you keep electing to run your state government, not so much. And that doesn't just affect how your state governments run. It doesn't just affect how your local governments run. It also affects how your judicial system operates. It also affects how your police departments operate. Unacceptable. The resignation, should that be enough? Is that enough accountability? I'm stepping down even though I'm not admitting to having done anything wrong, even though I'm now going to have to backtrack statements that will be in print forever unless there is some legal injunction to take it down that the Daily Mail conducted their interview with this guy. Well, you know, she was a troubled girl. Uh, we couldn't help that. And the father just made it worse. Not exactly the kind of thing that you should be saying even before the funeral of this poor girl. You can argue till the cows come home. Uh, sorry for the local colloquialism. You can argue till the cows come home about the merit of a school system deciding to call the police or not. But if you happen to be someone who's seen the footage of this attack, and I'm pretty sure you can still find it, even though they're trying to scrub it from the internet now. You can probably still find it. Some folks are still trying to upload it. If you've seen it already, or if you get a chance to see it, I think you will agree that this is something where the police probably should have been involved at the jump. You know, there used to be kind of a standard when they were first introducing the, well, you know, not only are we going to break it up and call the parents, but if it gets to a certain point, then we have no choice but to call the police as well. At first, it was if blood was drawn, or if it was going to require stitches, or if it was going to require medical attention of any kind, and it kind of varied from system to system, and thankfully, since there's still some level of autonomy between various school systems, they get to kind of to set their own rules for that. But regardless of how you set that bare minimum, the brutality and the pack mentality of this attack, with the intention of filming it and putting it on social media, that levels to a, a, a level of criminality that is probably still excessive of those upgraded charges. Something tells me we're going to be watching this one for just a little bit longer. All right, don't go anywhere. I'm going to take the mid-hour break, and when we come back, we will continue. Stay with me. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. It's all been done. It's all been 
Is the once golden state of California now a haven for perverted human trafficking? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. It is heartbreaking when one thinks about how California has digressed in so many ways. One of the worst is the alleged preponderance of human trafficking activity. Unfortunately, Democrat political office holders in California have passed a series of laws that have enabled human traffickers, both domestic and foreign, to ply their trade of snatching boys, girls, and women for the horrendous abuses inflicted upon them by perverted desperados seeking to pleasure themselves by abusing their captured victims. California State Senator Scott Weiner sponsored most of those laws that now favor human traffickers in that state. State Senator Weiner also admitted he used to pal around in the same circles as Paul Pelosi's demented attacker. They say that government reflects the moral and immoral status of the people. Hmm. If that's true, then don't expect California to change for the better until the voters first change and want a better society. I'm Ron Edwards. Until we meet on the next page from the Edwards Notebook, see ya! And remember to join me live weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific. To find out where, go to theronedwards.com. Second Skull is a protective headgear company with a patented line of impact-reducing products. At Second Skull, we focus on head protection as our only priority so that we can be the absolute best at it. With an estimated 2.8 million Americans sustaining a traumatic brain injury each year and a half a million children being treated in the ER each year for a head injury, there have been recent declines in athletic participation levels. We believe that concerns and fears of head injuries are factors contributing to these declines in activity levels. Second Skull has protection for every sport and for every athlete. Our product line of thin, lightweight, breathable, and practical solutions are each tested at independent and accredited laboratories. These products are patented and proven. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase. And to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. These stocks designed specifically for people who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. The challenge we all have is that as you work and you grow in your career, you have to put something aside for yourself when you retire around 65 years old. And the idea of Beanstalks is to simplify that whole process. In other words, Put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks, which gives you diversification. That's the whole key. The idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bi-monthly, but the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. 
Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. My name's Joe Biden. I'm Joe Biden's husband. Thank you. Thank you, George. Just when I came to the United States Senate 120 years ago. keep forgetting I'm president. Man, oh man, how I could forget your president, Joe. Uh, yep, he's out there walking this dinosaur again, and we're stuck having to listen to exaggerations, lies, and imaginary things that occurred, uh, this time via his State of the Union address. But uh, let's face it, it's what happens every time he opens his mouth. Uh, all right, quick reminder, too. For those of you that were listening to the Second Skull ad, I want to remind everybody that if you go visit SecondSkull.com, and there will be a link in the show description for those of you listening to the podcast, keep in mind, while they first started their work in an effort to try and protect youth athletes, they're now being used by professional athletes across the country, but Anytime any type of profession is involved that could use headgear, if you have to wear a hard hat to where you work, a Second Skull probably has something that would work really well for you, too. And, uh, you know, if you're not willing to invest a little bit to help protect your brain, you might end up sounding an awful lot like, I don't know, Joe Biden? Just something to, you know, make you wonder, uh, what are we really talking about here? It's scary. All right. I um, want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about the fact that um, that Jeffrey Epstein is in the news again. You see, there are names of individuals that have allegedly been tied to the deceased sex offender, Jeffrey Epstein, that are going to be released. Yes, that's right. We're being told that some court documents are going to be unsealed, and it's going to happen in, you know, the next couple of months. This according to a new report. These previously sealed documents with information on alleged Epstein associates, perpetrators, victims, employees, and others, that's the real category we need to keep a look at, are supposed to be made public. Again, according to the Daily Mail. Why do we have to keep looking to the United Kingdom to get actual journalism if we're here in the United States. I'm just asking for a friend. Anyway, they first reported on the, the new court filings uh, pertaining to the Virginia uh, case back in 2015 lawsuit uh, against the former Epstein associate, Gesling Maxwell. It, it certainly looks like we could be seeing some you know, about 167 names to be made public when these documents are finally unsealed. We'll find out, I suppose. Just couldn't go on without mentioning the fact that this is a real thing that looks like it's going to happen. Let's see where we get with that. All right, came across this story late last week, and I didn't get to it on Friday. 
actually was kind of afraid if I got started on this one, that I might end up shortchanging Ron on his ability to speak, and was also equally afraid that if I gave Ron uh, a fair t chance to get running on this one, I wouldn't get to get things off of my chest. So here I am, since it's just you and me, gang. Uh, we're going to talk about this. See, there's this baker who lived in the great state of California. And she, like most good California businesswomen, identified as a anarchist and a social justice advocate. Yeah, okay, so maybe that's not your typical ID for a business owner. But you see, the thing about this particular uh, lady is she died after she was the victim of a brutal theft in her business. Family and friends, well, they don't want the criminals who've been linked to her death, to be prosecuted because that would allegedly go against the woman's values. Now, part of me wonders if this isn't some type of, you know, if this was a, a few decades ago and maybe uh, some connections to the family, you know, uh, maybe some intimidation going on. So, oh, no, no, we don't want to press charges. But I really don't think that's the case here. These people seem legitimately trying to honor the memory of this anti-police anarchist lady. All right, in case you haven't heard much about it, uh, the baker's name is Jennifer Angel. And Jennifer went to a Wells Fargo bank branch in Oakland uh, last Monday afternoon. A car pulled in in front of her vehicle and blocked her from leaving. Angel's fiancé... Ocean Motley, yeah, that's a real name. I'm not making it up. Uh, you can check the San Francisco Chronicle if you're, <laughs> it's California. That's far from the weirdest name you're going to come across. So Ocean was there, and Ocean failed to protect Jennifer. Now, a spokesperson for the Oakland Police Department said that eh, around 12.30 p.m., it's just a smidge afternoon, uh, kind of late in the day out in California, but, you know, I'm here on the East Coast, so that's like 3.30 here. Anyway, an individual broke into Angel's car while she was in it and stole an item and then ran back to wait to a waiting vehicle. Angel then chased after the thief and got caught in the door of the fleeing car. She was reportedly dragged down the street for more than 50 feet, hitting her head several times. She was rushed to Highland Hospital, where she was put into a medically induced coma to try to promote healing and give her a chance to survive. Angel, Jennifer, underwent emergency surgery, and part of her skull was removed to help with the severe swelling in her brain. Jennifer died from her injuries sustained in that robbery on Thursday of this past week. Doctors confirmed that she had lost all brain function before her final death. Family and friends of Jennifer issued a statement. They said, quote, It's with very heavy hearts that we announce that Oakland Baker, small business owner, social justice activist, 
and community member, Jen Angel. See, that's how you know they were friends. They just called her Jen. Jen Angel has been medically declared to have lost all brain function and will not regain consciousness. Her official time of death was 5.48 p.m. That was the beginning of the statement. Now, if I'm a family member and I just lost somebody that I cared very deeply about, that would probably have been all of this public statement that I make at that point. I can't imagine continuing past that because I'm not going to be in a condition to. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be seeking justice at first. And quite honestly, I'm probably going to tip on over into seeking vengeance more so than justice. But the family and friends, and I'm thinking it probably was friends more than family at this point, and I would question the definition of friends at this point, but it continued. Quoting the statement again, we know Jen would not want to continue the cycle of harm by bringing state-sanctioned violence to those involved in her death or to other members of Oakland's rich community. As a longtime social movement activist and anarchist, Jen did not believe in state violence. She didn't believe in state-run punishment, and she certainly didn't believe in incarceration as an effective or just solution to social violence and inequity. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second because I need a definition. Can somebody out there give me a definition? How do you define social violence? Because something tells me they don't know how these two words are supposed to work together. Uh, violence that's committed out while you're engaged in societal activities, if that's your definition, then um, yeah, you're right. Uh, Incarceration doesn't uh, play in very effectively. Uh, well, wait, except for the fact that the people that are incarcerated are no longer in public, so they can't socially engage and cause acts of violence. They can only be violent inside the incarcerated area. So, inequity? Inequity, inequity. Yeah, they love the word equity, don't they? They don't, they've used it so much now, and they've twisted the words so much, they have no idea how to even use these words. I've said it before, and I will say it again. If you have to put an adjective in front of the word justice, then you're not talking about justice anymore. If you're talking about violence, you don't need an adjective in front of that unless it was an act of violence so extreme that you need to paint a clearer picture of violence. If I just say violence, that could be me out front screaming at my cat. Why are you being so violent to your cat? Well, he had it coming. Trust me, I, I like my cats a lot. I don't normally yell at them unless they've done something really dumb. That's why I don't have dogs at the moment. The neighbors, they get kind of tricky when I start yelling because dogs, they're not usually as bright. They're much friendlier, much more loyal, and you can count on them for a lot more. 
Oh, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike them. It's just they also have this natural instinct to do dumb things. But so I'm yelling and I'm scaring the neighbors. Okay, well, that could be considered violence today. I grew up with a time, like I know a lot of you did, where the phrase sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, actually was something you taught small children because you wanted them to develop thick skin, understand what people think and what people say only affect you as much as you let it. People, in order to do harm to you, must actually do physical harm. So then let's elevate the violence a little more, okay? Do I need to say something besides a violent interaction if all they did was punch you a couple of times and didn't even draw blood? Maybe even didn't knock you down, just enough to kind of make you mad, maybe bust your lip a little bit and you got a little dribble there. But now let's say we're talking cartel level, send a message to the other's violence where bodies are mutilated and uh, attacks are continued well beyond... In those cases, yeah, let's put an adjective in front of the word violence so that we can make it clear that this was excessively brutal. But I don't need the word social put in front of violence because depending on how you're trying to define these two words that typically don't go together, it doesn't make any sense. It almost downplays it, which of course is their intention, right? They want to downplay the idea of violence happening because it's not really their fault. You see, they're victims of inequality. You see, we love Jen, but Jen was white. She was. So she was an oppressor, even though she was an anarchist. Even though she's very anti-police. Even though she's on the record for all these other things, she's still white. So she's still an oppressor according to all the rules that we keep being taught. The statement continues. Said that Jen worked towards an ecology sustainability. An ecology, an ecologically sustainable society where people are free and equal. How is it that being free and equal somehow equates to crime being allowed to occur without consequences? Because you know what happens when crime occurs, especially violent crime occurs without consequences for those involved? Oh yeah, crime gets worse. Don't believe me? Look at the statistics. Well, you know, Tim, you're talking about numbers and math, and we know math is white supremacist, and therefore you're just trying to promote the male uh, matriarchy. Wait, male matriarchy? Isn't that patriarchy? Shut up, Tim. Don't question us. We're allowed to misspeak. You're not, but we are. All right, whatever. Let's pretend that we're working towards an ecologically sustainable society where people are free and equal. That means in order to have no punishment, there must be no crime. And of course, some of the moonbeam joy and love crowd still thinks that all you have to do is trust and love and, and everyone will come around to that. And that would be a great world if that was the world we lived in, by the way. I, I wish 
it wasn't such an impossibility. Human nature prevents it because for every one person that you could reach that way, there's at least a hundred that says, this is an easy mark. The friends and family of Jen Angel, they proclaimed that the criminals involved in this case the criminals involved in Jennifer's death should not be prosecuted. I want to know where these guys have their stash hidden. I do. I want to know. Because these people are definitely on something. What kind of, what kind of cakes and brownies was Jen baking? Some of them had a little extra punch from something. That's all I can tell you. They killed this woman that they claimed to have loved, and they're like, oh, well, you know, you should just let them go. If the Oakland Police Department does make an arrest in this case, the family is committed to pursuing all available alternatives to traditional prosecution, such as restorative justice. Quoting from the statement again, by the way. Restorative justice. Another fun little phrase that's become part of the vernacular for the leftist crowd in this country. You know, we don't need to fund the police. We need to, to get more social workers and more psychologists and psychiatrists dealing with it. So we need restorative justice. Well, let's use the word restorative, you know, the way it's normally used in the English language. How do you make right what was done wrong? by the criminal actions in question. Can you bring Jennifer Angel back to life? Can you put her back to where she was supposed to be on her track of life before this event happened? Where she was perfectly content running around Oakland, being a, a soft-brained, loony leftist, saying, oh, we need to defund the police. And, and she becomes the poster child of why that is the worst possible thing you can do in high-crime areas. The crime gets worse, and it expands. So can we can we get restorative justice in bringing Jennifer back to life? Mm, nah, I'm going to go with a hard no on that one. Oh, can we get the money that was taken from her? Can we get the item that was stolen from her car that she believed in enough to chase down this criminal that eventually led to her death? I mean, sure. You can make the argument all day, well, she didn't do what the leftists keep telling us we should do, and that's just let them have whatever they want and let them go. Wouldn't that have actually been, based on what the friends and family are telling us, what Jen would have done if she really felt that way? No, when crime showed up at her car, busted into her things, took her item, whatever this was, and you notice they don't specify what it is here. Knowing she wasn't going to get any help from the police because they couldn't get there in time anyway and probably would be ordered to, to stand down because that's the kind of policies they have in Oakland. She chased them down and got caught. She risked her own life to try and protect her property, which she has every God-given right to do. And she died as a result of it because of the actions of the cowardly criminals in question. Has the friends and family thought for one second about what Jen really would have wanted? Because it seemed to me like Jen wanted to get her stuff back. 
It sounds to me like Jen thought she wasn't about to sit there and be a victim. Sounds to me like in that moment, when that crime came to her door, that she was prepared to do what most human beings should do, and that's protect your stuff. You protect your family. You protect your property. And then you extend that to your neighbors and friends as much as you need to. That is a basic fundamental principle that this nation was founded on, the belief that what is yours is yours, and nobody, including the government, has the right to just take it from you for no reason, period. You want that nice thing that Jen had? Go get a legal job, earn the money, buy it yourself. How about that? Oh, well, that's too restorative justice for these folks. What does restorative justice look like in this case? Please, friends and family of Jennifer Angel, explain that to me. They're not done, though. No, no, no. Outside of the statement, they were also doing some interviews later. The family and friends said that Jennifer's death should not be used to, quote, further inflame narratives of fear, hatred, and vengeance, what they would accuse me of doing and having this conversation with you right now, by the way. No, no, it shouldn't be used to do that. Nor to advance putting public resources into policing, incarceration, or other state violence that perpetrates the cycle of violence that results in this tragedy. I would continue to make the argument that what resulted from this tragedy is probably the hands-off lack of policing throughout the entire state of California, with the few exceptions of where sheriffs in certain counties have said, we don't care what Sacramento says, we're actually enforcing the law and protecting our citizens. And thank God for those sheriffs. We need more of them, not fewer. Jennifer Angel's friend, Emily Harris, speaking to KGO-TV, said, quote, we are really trying to orient towards her brilliant life, and that actually she is not a person who would support the policing and imprisonment of the people who harmed her. Let me ask you again, Emily, if that was the case, why did she try to go get her stuff back? Is that really what she wanted in the moment? She was violated at a basic primal level. Nobody has the right to just step up to you and take stuff that's yours. Nobody. And when they did this, I, again, I don't know what it was. Maybe it had some huge sentimental value. Maybe it had some actual cash value of a huge amount. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It could have been anything from a Fabergé egg in the backseat of her car. Don't know why she would have one. But anything from that level to a little puff of lint that was coughed up by her recently passed hamster that she loved dearly. It doesn't matter what the actual value was. Nobody has a right to come take that. And they certainly don't have the right to kill this poor girl in their effort to escape. We're trying to orient our, our lives to, to the brilliant life. Please. 
feels like absolutely an opportunity to stand in her values and support the world as she wants by actually showing that something different than actual policing and prosecution is possible. Well, yeah, you know what? It's always possible. It happens a lot. People get away with stuff all the time. I have so rarely been so tempted to curse and curse, and I can't do that right now. They, they tried to finish that statement by saying, and is how we can have accountability. How are you going to have accountability of any kind if you're just going to let it go? What does accountability look like? Do you even know what any of the words you're using means, but especially the meaning of the word accountability? I mean, I'm sorry, Harris. Seems like you don't know Angel hardly at all. Jennifer Angel died for no good reason, other than the fact that somebody wanted her stuff, and she knew if she was going to get it back, she had to take care of that herself. But, you know, as of this moment in time, they're probably going to get their wish. Again, I, part of me still questions, has there been some type of intimidation? Has somebody come out and bullied them into this? Because, again, how do you feel like this? so close to such a horrific ending of your friend and family member. The Oakland Police Department is asking the public for assistance to find the suspects, and anyone with information on the crime should call a number, and I'm going to go ahead and give it to you, even though I know most of the folks listening aren't going to be able to, to do much about it, but their little Crime Stoppers of Oakland number is 510 2383326 The Crime Stalkers Stoppers of Oakland is offering up to $7,500 for information leading to the arrest of the criminals and tips can be provided at that number and they can also be provided the number I gave you first was the Oakland Police Department the number for the Crime Stoppers is 510 7778572 again the Oakland Police Department 5102383326 the Oakland Crime Stoppers number 5107778572 I I just don't know what else to say I'm I'm going to have to leave that right there let's Let's reset the hour. I, I can't go any further with that. I'm going to catch my breath, and then we'll start hour number two right after this. Please don't go anywhere. I really am just getting started. She was from a blue state clan, taught to praise the little man. Told that unions saved the working class He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows 
couldn't say when, you couldn't say how, you couldn't say why, cause she was different in his eyes. They built careers and had a kid, tried to live like their parents did, but both their parties taxed them close to death. Learn to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw them years ago A happy little cabin in the west they homeschooled on their farm Making so much more from so much less They can say when, they can say how, and they can say why, they're different in your eyes. They're different in your eyes. They're different in your eyes. America, this is Ken Crow with Conservative Daily Briefing, and you are listening to Tim Tap Tap into the Truth. All right, we are thunderstruck. Thank you, Ken. Always appreciate the uh, introduction there. I'm going to have to have Ken back on sometime soon, by the way. Always good to get a little thunderstruck action going on. All right. Uh, we are here into the second hour. We've already covered some topics. And as you can tell, I have missed being here with you guys the normal amount that we have uh, established in the past we'll definitely be making sure we get that squared away moving forward a few topics that we're going to be looking at this hour we're going to focus on some of the new updated information in regards to john fetterman uh yeah uh there of course you've probably heard a little bit about what's going on with his health uh we'll be talking about that we're also going to spend some time talking about chat gpt uh gonna tell you a little bit about its build up its creation its past and how it came to be and then we'll take a little deeper look about what it might actually mean but before we do any of that i need to again talk to you a little bit uh, about the sponsor for today's show, and that is forpatriot.com. Uh, keep in mind that, again, what I need you to do is visit for, that's the number for, patriots.com, uh, and of course, no spacing there, forpatriots.com. Uh, 
get whatever you'd like. And if it's your first time there, your first order, you can use the promo code TAPP, T-A-P-P, all in caps, to get 10% off your entire order. But what they're really trying to promote right now, what's most important for most Americans as we transition from wintry storm uh, time to spring storm time, is your backup generators. How many of you guys have had power failures in the past three months? How many of you, uh, looking at places like where Ken's from, Iowa, and of course, Colorado, Utah, how many of you guys have had power outages that lasted more than three days? Even the great state of Texas this past uh, month had a, another winter storm hit, and you were out of power for a couple of days. Nowhere near as bad as the year before. Thankfully, you guys learned some of your lessons, but the point being, you can't be better prepared for a power outage than to have your backup emergency generators. And for years and years, we have counted on the old-style gas-powered generator because that's the standard. But here's the thing. If you're new to the backup generator game, maybe you don't know all of the necessary safety methods, the safety techniques to keep yourself free from the dangers of fumes. And if you can't protect yourself and your family from carbon monoxide poisoning, then you might as well just deal with the cold. Trust me on that. You're way more likely to survive a super cold couple of days than you are to survive carbon monoxide poisoning. So deal with that. And one of the best ways you can deal with that, again, is being taken care of by our friends over at 4Patriots. Thanks to the brand new generation of portable, safe, silent, and, this is the important part, 100% fume-free generators. 100% fume-free generators. That's currently available to all Americans, even the ones who maybe think that they couldn't afford one before. That has to do with their uh, payment plan that's available. The Patriot Power Generator is a solar generator that doesn't use gas. So it doesn't have fumes. And instead of being loud, it's as quiet as a laptop. Plus, it's so lightweight, you can pick it up, take it with you wherever you need to go. Uh, whether you're going camping, whether you're trying to just bug out for an emergency situation, or even if you just need to move it from where you were storing it to get close to your refrigerator. There you go. It has enough power that it can keep your phones and emergency backup radios charged up. It can to keep your refrigerator operational. And if you're somebody who needs medical devices operating a lot, you know, whether it's some type of monitor, a sleep apnea machine, whatever that may be going on, if it runs on power, well, then guess what? Power outage gets in the way. The, uh, the Patriot Power Generator, well, that solves the problem, doesn't it? Be sure to boogie on over there and at the very least check it out. Your best bet is to head over right now to 4patriots.com. That's the number 4patriots.com. And use promo code TAP at checkout. That's T-A-P-P. Uh, use all caps, please. That will get you 10% on your first purchase, regardless of what you're getting. Anything in the store at all. And that, of course, includes the Patriot Power Generator. 
So again, just go to 4 and use promo code TAP at checkout for 10% off. That's 4 promo code TAP, and get your backup emergency generator today. Okay, now that I've successfully sold you on a backup generator, fume-free, I might add, let's take a brief look at what's occurred in the past week in the grand story of Senator from the great state of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman. Now, there's a reason why some people call him Festus. There's a reason why some people call him Blockhead, and while some people call him No Neck. Although, actually, the No Neck thing probably isn't accurate anymore, because I don't know if you guys noticed, but it seems like seems like that big lump that was on the back of his neck that a lot of physicians were questioning his current status. Well, it seems to be gone, so evidently he's gotten some, some medical treatment and seems to be getting positive. And hey, you know, we said it at the time, and I'm still on board with it. I don't have any desire, any ill will. I don't want bad things to happen to him or anybody else. I just want these criminals and bad policy supporting Democrats to be out of the way so good American people can do these jobs and, you know, actually do the job of the people's business instead of, hmm, how do I get a little richer today? How do I become more powerful today? Now, if you weren't paying attention this past week, John Fetterman was at a Democratic senator's retreat and uh, he passed out. He was hospitalized. He spent about two and a half days in the hospital before they released him. And they're stating quite clearly that now they're expecting him to return to his job of being a U.S. senator on Monday. So technically tomorrow, as of the time that we're actually recording this broadcast. So, okay, that certainly sounds good, right? But here's the part that's not good. If you'll recall back before the election, back when we were talking about how Dr. Oz, not a great choice to run as a senatorial candidate either, for multiple reasons, not the least of which the fact that the Democrats were able to successfully paint him as a carpetbagger, the fact that Democratic voters do slightly edge the Republican voters in the state of Pennsylvania, so you need somebody that you can at least pair off some of the Democratic voters to support, that the mainstream media continued to cover up how damaged Fetterman actually was from the stroke that he suffered when he did, and that they managed to keep that out of the public knowledge, the general public knowledge in the state of Pennsylvania, through, let's just say, less than honest means by the legacy media within the state. And they kept it under their hats until they couldn't hide it anymore, which was the night of the one debate they went ahead and had. And the only reason they were felt comfortable going ahead and letting him attempt the debate then? Well, Pennsylvania is one of those places that changed their voting rules for COVID. Pennsylvania is one of those places that said, we're not changing them back. And that a majority of the voters had voted early. So they knew 
there was no way to uh, no way to to do any more damage. The chances are the majority of people that were left to vote were going to vote Republican and were probably going to hold their nose and vote for Fetterman instead of Oz anyway. Half of them because Oz was running as a Republican. And the other half, probably, and as sad and pitiful as this excuse is, we know it's a legitimate thing. Where we deal with it all the time. Half of the folks that were going to hold their nose and vote for Fetterman anyway were doing so because the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, had given his full support to Dr. Oz. He thought Dr. Oz was great on TV, and he thought, therefore, that equates to somebody that should be able to win a campaign. I think we have proven quite conclusively at this point that doesn't necessarily give you a winning uh, campaign. Part of the reason is Donald Trump, for, for all his foibles and for all his greatness, no matter how you personally feel about him, he is still one of the most divisive characters currently on the American political scene. And there is a good number of people that claim an R at the end of their name that will not bring themselves to be supportive or even to say something that might be remotely supportive of anything that Donald John Trump has done. And that's a shame. I find myself angrier at Donald Trump than I have been in a very long time over his tactics of trying to presumptively frame Ron DeSantis, current governor of the great state of Florida, who is undoubtedly his biggest challenger in a Republican uh, race to try to get the nomination. As you look to move to the primary, nobody else has officially announced yet, although I think we know that Nikki Haley is about to officially announce. She's announced that she's going to announce, which to me, that means she's announced, but that's not where we're at, right? Well, regardless, when we were talking way back at the beginning of this campaign, I spent some time talking about some of the criminal activities that Fetterman was involved with when he was mayor of a small town that is now defunct. He literally managed the final decline of this poor small town. He managed to use his position and then created a nonprofit that was supposed to be revitalizing this town. He used that as a secondary means to purchase a lot of land for almost nothing. Basically, he helped to lead to the demise of the town. Now, technically, there's still people living there. They still claim township, but for all intents and purposes, it's just not what it used to be. Fetterman is not a nice guy. And I can sit here and I can say all the negative things that I want to, but we talked about the health as being a primary concern because he literally, and they've admitted this past week, that when you try speaking to him, what he actually hears is something more akin to how the teachers and parents used to talk in the Peanuts TV specials. You can understand the kids when they were talking to each other, but all the adults were wah, 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 wah. Evidently, that's pretty close to what he hears. I'm sure most of you guys will remember what a big stink they made 
back when he tried to give the one interview, and they had to do closed captioning for the interview reporters. And then when the reporter expressed that when speaking to other uh, television sources, when she was trying to promote her face-to-face -face interview with John Fetterman just days before the big debate, she was viciously attacked by the wife, saying that you owe uh, Americans with disabilities a huge apology. She didn't attack people with disabilities. She was accurately describing how this interview had to be conducted in order for him to interact with her and give answers to the questions she was asking. Which is, as far as I know, and, and help me out with this, I know I'm technically not a journalist, according to the standards of the New York Times or other great former institutions. Or should I say formerly great institutions? Yeah, anyway, I'm still as accurate as they are. All she did was describe the situation so that the people would understand why there would be pauses. Evidently, he can still process reading visual information much easier and much faster than he can process auditory. And that's not all that uncommon with certain types of stroke. So we talked about the big stink that went on there, and they still try to, to question you and how you deal with other people and how you must look down on people with disabilities uh, if you even suggested it. Maybe since he had the stroke, he wasn't exactly the best choice to be senator for your state anymore. But here we are. We also talked about the fact that there were at least three nationally recognized neurological specialists who deal with stroke victims on the regular, and all three of them stated clearly that the type of stroke that he had and the amount of blockage that still seems to be present, and hopefully that's been corrected by the slump on the back of his neck being removed. I mean, I really do hope that that's what that was about and that that will change it, but they stated quite clearly, that is an 80% chance or higher, depending on which one you were talking to, that he would have another stroke and probably would not survive that stroke within two years. That's part of why so many people panicked when he had this issue and had to be hospitalized. A lot of people remembered that, even though they tried to keep it quiet, hush, hush, don't talk about it. I thought he was probably about to pass on. He's barely been in the Senate at this point. He doesn't really have anything of a legacy yet so that you can make the argument, well, well let's just put his activist uh, immigrant wife in the position, which for whatever reason has become the tradition now. When a senator passes, their wife takes over the remainder. When exactly did that start, by the way? And why... Why do we allow that to happen? Why isn't there just a special election done? I mean, seriously, it's not like the Senate moves so fast that you have to have an immediate replacement anyway, right? But even if you do, one senator missing doesn't typically make that big of a difference. Granted, it's been close enough here lately that, of course, it does. But generally speaking, it very rarely does. I mean, what happened to the good old days of when a senator is not able to complete their term, 
the state legislature then just selects a temporary representative until either a special election can be done or until the next regular election. In this case, so early in the term, you would do a special election. And, you know, this isn't something that I'm complaining about because John Fetterman's wife may be moving to the Senate. I've complained about this when Republican senators have had this happen. And it's happened way too much. They started it, what, in, in the 80s? Did it start in the 70s before I was paying attention? I, I don't know. Maybe you guys can help me with that. I haven't researched the question. Um, anybody wants to uh, get onto one of my social media pages and send me an answer on that, you're welcome to do so. But I'm sitting here scratching my head on this, and, and what is it exactly that's going on? John Fetterman's health is clearly not where it needs to be. But, according to reports, he was discharged from the hospital this past Friday. According to a spokesperson for uh, Fetterman, John's looking forward to returning to the Senate on Monday. In addition to the CT, the CTA, and the MRI test uh, ruling out another stroke, EEG test results came back normal with no evidence of seizures. They spent a lot of time talking about the seizure thing, too. Petterman attended President Biden's State of the Union address. That happened on Tuesday. The next day, staff took him to the hospital after he complained about feeling lightheaded earlier in the day. This, of course, happened while he was at the retreat for Senate Democrats at the Library of Congress. And that was reported over at the Hill first. Several others followed. Now, Senator Fetterman's wife thanked the amazing doctors and staff at GWU and everyone who sent good wishes their way during the hectic time. And, and that's appropriate. It's a reasonable thing to say, and I'm glad so many people did. Again, I don't want the guy to die. I don't want anybody to have bad health. I know that comes as a surprise to most leftists when you hear a conservative say it. Uh, but I'll remind you that if you take a close, close look at all the death threats over political BS, most of that comes from people on the left. Just look it up. You don't take my word for it. Just just go, go check it out for yourself. Here's the thing, though. After Fetterman's near-fatal stroke ahead of the primaries back in May, there were some folks that speculated that his wife, who was the Keystone State's de facto candidate, uh, Rolling Stone reporter Cara Vault was among them. Fox News reported it back in October, uh, and Vault has since deleted her tweet. Basically here... They're saying that once the stroke happened, Fetterman wasn't even the candidate anymore. That it was the plan all along. It's like, okay, well, you still go ahead because it's too late for us to get a new face in. So we'll let him go as long as he can, and then you'll take over. Fetterman's stroke left him with ongoing auditory processing issues. As a result, he experiences voices that at times resembled the muffled voice of the teacher characters in the Peanuts. I, I've already mentioned that to you. 
but that's been showing up in report after report since Friday. This is an ongoing situation. It has not improved. In fact, most indicators, despite their best efforts to try to keep this quiet, indicates that it's actually been getting worse as far as his ability to understand auditory input. His recovery has been very slow, and he's had multiple positions state that given the stress of trying to do the campaign and then the stress of traveling and making the appearances that are part of being a United States senator at this early stage, they're not helping the effort to recover. It's making it worse. Betterman's chief of staff said that the senator's auditory processing issues has been well known for months. In other words, this is typical Democrat bovine excrement to try and say, oh, don't care about that. That's old news. Because, you know, that's what they do when they can't deny it anymore. The typical playbook, deny, deny, deny. Oh, well, that's old news now. Yeah, but it's still being reported because you're not denying it anymore. Yeah, but it's old news. Everybody knew that. It's been well known for months, and it was described in the response to the New York Times piece detailing the aftermath of his condition as a right-wing freakout. Oh, no! Conservatives can't process the fact that voices embraced a man who was vulnerable in public. Conservatives don't have a problem with anybody embracing someone that's vulnerable in public. But we do have a problem with you deciding to elect someone who can't actually be the voice of the people when they can't hear the people's concern. Now, granted, as a constitutionalist, I'll go turn right back around and tell you the United States Senate is supposed to be about representation of the state and states' rights, not directly the people. But we don't operate that anyway, haven't in a long time, have we? In fact, they passed a constitutional amendment to change how that works. They're no longer, no longer the voice of the states and of states' rights at the federal government. Now they're just an additional way to get ridiculous policies pushed forward. So what are we really talking about then? We're talking about a guy who's clearly not fit to do the job. Why is he not stepped down or resigned? Because if he resigns, then the wife doesn't get to just take over. He has to hold on to that seat until something really bad happens to him. And then the state gets to allow the, the Democratic Party to choose. Why is it so hard in this modern age to just simply assign merit as a decision-making priority, and let somebody who actually is capable of doing the job do the job instead of just saying, well, congratulations, you're a part of the political hierarchy now. You're no longer one of the little commoners, so just step right in, and we'll go from there. After all, what else should we do? We can't let the little people decide. All right, let's take the mid-hour break, and when I come back, we will hit the home stretch. Don't go anywhere. I shall continue momentarily.
You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Americans are continuing to leave high-tax states like New York and moving to lower-tax states like Florida and Ohio. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. As sovereign Americans stream out of California and all high-tax states, I find it alarming that the Biden administration and other extreme leftists like Chucky Schumer are all proposing to raise taxes on wealthy, productive Americans, which is basically increasing the already high degree of punishment against those who succeed in society. Even more egregious is the Biden plot to slap a 3.8% income tax increase on the earnings of small businesses. Already, at least 45% of small businesses have been shuttered due to the fake science-based lockdown during the Corona China virus scandemic. Some economists have predicted that up to 65% of all small businesses may shut down unless there is a quick reversal of Biden's already enacted oppressive regulations and executive orders. If the Democrat socialist pigs have their way, Americans who want a better life may soon immigrate to less oppressive nations. I'm Ron Edwards. Brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Hello, my name is Tyler Boone, singer-songwriter and founder of the award-winning homegrown Boone's Bourbon label out of Charleston, South Carolina. In just four years, Boone's Bourbon has been awarded some incredible awards, such as the Platinum Los Angeles, Double Gold New York, Gold Las Vegas, Silver Denver, and also named Top 6 in the World in Forbes. While also being featured in Rolling Stone magazine, Billboard magazine, American Songwriter, and we're also now available in 24 states all across the country. So Boone's Bourbon is a high-proof, cash-strength bourbon at 117 proof. We are 75 corn, 21 rye, 4 barley, and at our price point, we're beating the competition at $40 in the retail stores. Boone's Bourbon is a family-owned business out of Charleston, South Carolina with my father, Mick Boone. Cheers, and we hope to see you soon. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Ours is the first revolution in the history of mankind that truly reversed the course of government. And with three little words, we the people. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver. The government is the car. And we decide where it should go and by what route and how fast. Almost all the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is a document in which we, the people, 
tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free. There's a clear cause and effect here that is as neat and predictable as a law of physics. As government expands, liberty contracts. You're listening to Tap into the Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. We would indeed all be just fine without their building back bubkis. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not the story they want to tell us. Oh, well, speaking of stories they want to tell us, by now you have probably heard all about this strange and wonderful advancement in artificial intelligence. Of course, we're talking about uh, the big hub that we've heard everything about over the last few weeks, ChatGPT. It's literally everywhere, but you might need to know where it came from to help understand why it's being pushed forward so aggressively. It's a, uh, it's a breakout hit from the tech company OpenAI. But it's built on decades of research. They, they've been putting this together for a long time. So let's take a look at the history before we take a serious look at what comes next, shall we? I mean, it is important that we, we know the history, right? You see, we've reached peak, we've reached peak chat GPT. It was released at the end of November as a web app by the San Francisco-based firm OpenAI. It's a chatbot, and it exploded into the mainstream almost overnight. According to some estimates, it is the fastest-growing Internet service ever, reaching 100 million users in the month of January, just two months after the launch. Though OpenAI's $10 billion deal with Microsoft uh, through that, the tech is now being built into Office software and the Bing engine, uh, search engine. So, what has happened now is Microsoft, they swung into action by its newly awakened one-time rival. In the uh, battle for search, Google is a fast-tracking, uh, they're now fast-tracking their rollout of its own chat box, uh, Lambda. So, what does this really mean? Google was going to introduce theirs slower. They were going to take their time. They weren't in a big hurry. But given the explosion in popularity and all the positive media attention it's got, they're speeding theirs up. What we're talking about is software, a level of AI that now can pass the bar. <laughs> now, supposedly, just barely, but can pass the bar in places. We've seen the result of the deep fake 
porn capabilities of this thing with this uh, young Twitch girl that everybody was talking about last week. Uh, I I don't I haven't mentioned that story. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I would like to comment, however, on all the folks that were making fun of this poor girl. Uh, a lot of conservatives jumped on that particular uh, on the on board that particular wagon too. Why are you making fun of somebody that's had their personal life violated in such a fashion? This level of deep fake could not have been possible without this new increase in AI. It is nearly impossible to tell that this wasn't an actual thing based on everything that I've heard about it. It was so bad that even this Twitch streamer girl had a hard time explaining to people that know her that that wasn't her. She had a crying fit on her live stream talking about how invasive this was, and people made fun of her over this. They pointed out that she's a lefty and that this is the kind of thing she supported in the past and that if you live by the sword, you die by the sword, and, and then a lot of hee-hee-hees and ha-ha-has. But there's nothing funny about that. Nothing. And why anybody, especially somebody that deems themselves to be conservative, who should be opposed to online pornography to begin with, period, because no actual good to a society comes from it. It is a moralistic wrong, and we've seen the result of the over-hypersexualization of young children that is, in fact, a direct result of pornography becoming more prevalent and pornography becoming more fetish-driven, that it's shameful that these folks would find it humorous that somebody became a victim. Now, I'm somebody that has come on here before on air and talked about when somebody, uh, when the left starts eating themselves, and sometimes it's hard not to laugh at it, but this is not one of those instances. Anyway, that's all I've got to say about that particular topic, and I hope not to have to bring it up again. In the meanwhile, let's get uh, back to talking about chat GPT. So first, we'll go back to the 1980s and 90s. That's when the first recurrent neural networks were formed. Chat GPT is a version of GPT-3. That's a large language model also developed by OpenAI, the company. Language models are a type of neural network that's been trained on lots and lots of text. And in this case, if you're not hip to all the techno terms, neural networks, in this particular case, we're talking about software that was inspired by the way neurons in animal brains signal one, to one, one another. Because text is made up of sequences of letters and words of varying length, language models require a type of neural network that can make sense of that kind of data. Recurrent neural networks invented in the 1980s can handle sequences of words, but they're slow to train and can forget previous words in a particular sequence. So fast forward to 1997. A couple of computer scientists fixed that particular problem by inventing the LSTM networks. Now that actually just stands for long short-term memory. Now these particular recurrent neural networks with special components 
uh, allow past data in an input sequence to be retained for longer. So an LSTM could handle strings of text several hundred words long, but still their language skills were limited at best. So then jump ahead another 20 years. Now we're at 2017. And that's about the time that the breakthrough behind today's generation of large language models came into be when a team of Google research inventors created what they call transformers. And no, we're not talking about the toys from Mattel or the cartoons that were made or the toys from Mattel or uh, any of the movies made since. What we're talking about when we talk about transformers is a kind of neural network that can track where each word or phrase appears in a sequence. Now that's big. Listen why. The meaning of words often depend on the meaning of the other words around them. That's what we talk about when we complain that somebody took a statement out of context. Lots of times we were taught, or at least this used to be the case way back in the day, it probably isn't done that much these days, but we were taught to try to figure out the meaning of words in a sentence that we didn't know that word based on the words around them. We inferred meaning from the context in which it was being used. Before transformers were created, they couldn't do that. So by tracking this contextual information, transformers can now handle even longer strings of text and capture the meanings of words more accurately. For example, hot dog. Now, hot dog, as a phrase, means very different things depending on the sentence. Say, for example, I say, hot dogs should be given plenty of water. And then a few minutes later, I say, hot dogs should be eaten with mustard. Well, before Transformers came along, a computer could not defer and discern a difference between hot dogs used in those particular phrases. And here, clearly, because you're human, you know when I say hot dogs should be eaten with mustard, I'm talking about the meaty little snacks. Or at least I hope you know that. I don't want to know too much about your personal life, guys. But anyway, if a dog... The animal happens to be hot. Yes, definitely give it water. I don't have to explain that to you. And now we don't have to explain it to the computer's AI either. Now, moving forward yet again, back in 2018 and 2019, GPT and GPT-2 come along. So OpenAI's first two large language models came just a few months apart. The company wants to develop multi-skilled general-purpose AI that, uh, that they can allow these large language models because they believe that those are the key steps towards the goal of the AI being general-purpose. GPT, which is short for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, planted a flag beating state-of-the-art benchmarks for natural language processing at the time, it was, again, groundbreaking. That's about the time that you probably noticed you started getting robocalls where it went from being clearly a recorded voice to it sounded pretty real to start with. 
those were based on the early GPT-1 and GPT-2. But that's just one example. It's far from the only one. Anyway, GPT combined transformers with unsupervised learning. That's a way to train the machine learning models on data, in this particular case, lots and lots of text, that hasn't been annotated before. This lets the software figure out patterns in the data all by itself, so without having to be told what it's looking for exactly. Many previous successors to the machine learning had relied on supervised learning and annotated data, but labeling data by hand is slow work and it limits the size of the data sets available for the training. But it was GPT-2 that created a bigger buzz. See, that's when OpenAI claimed to be so concerned people would use GPT-2 to generate deceptive, biased, or abusive language that it would not be releasing the full model. Ah, uh, how times have changed, though, my friends. Now we move to 2020 and the emergence of GPT-3. You see, GPT-2 was impressive, but OpenAI's follow-up, that next level, it made jaws drop. Its ability to generate human-like text was a big leap forward. GPT-3 can answer questions. It can summarize documents. It generates stories in different styles, translates between English, French, Spanish, Japanese, and countless other languages. Its mimicry is uncanny. One of the most remarkable takeaways is that GPT-3's gains come from supersizing existing techniques rather than inventing new ones. This version has 175 billion parameters. A parameter being the value in a network that gets adjusted during training. Now that's compared with the previous version, GPT-2, it had 1.5 billion. So again, 175 billion parameters compared to just 1.5 billion. That's a huge leap. It was also trained on a lot more data. This trained itself. But training on text taken from the internet brings new problems. You see, GPT-3, it soaked up much of the disinformation and prejudice it found online and reproduced it on demand. As OpenAI acknowledges, internet training models have internet scale biases. Now, if you're starting to pick up a particular leftist lean to how this history is being told, well, that's because, again, we're talking about computer experts. We're talking about Silicon Valley types. We're talking about people that have an implicit leftist bias. And that's also why our good friend GPT-3 also itself now has a clear leftist bias. But we'll get to that in a minute. I want to continue with the history of the program for now. Back in December of 2020, toxic text and other problems began popping up. 
So while OpenAI was wrestling with the biases that the system had picked up, the rest of the tech world was facing a, a high-profile reckoning over the failure to curb toxic tendencies in AI. It's no secret that large language models can spew out false, even hateful text. But researchers have found that fixing the problem, and I'm using air quotes here because we all know how leftists fix problems of misinformation, that fixing the problem is not on the to-do list of most big tech firms. So, when the co-director of Google's AI ethics team co-authored a paper that highlighted the potential harms associated with large language models, which includes high computing cost, it was not welcomed by senior managers inside the company over at OpenAI. In December of 2020, the co-creator, the co-director of Google's AI team, well, the AI ethics team, suddenly, suddenly Timit Gerber found themselves out of a job. Funny how they want to censor what we have to say, but as far as people that are trying to warn them about inherent risk, well, they just, they don't want to hear that. So now we skip ahead to January of 2022, and this is when the news really starts popping, and you start hearing about it on various news media outlets, and you hear about the conservative outlets are trying to, to sound the alarms and the warning bells of how desperate this become, and leftist news outlets are trying to tell you all about how this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and soon you won't even have to write your own term papers. Yeah, I, you see where that's a thought as a positive for them. They don't want you to be able to apply enough critical thinking to write your own term paper, right? Here, uh, excuse me, chat GPT, I need to have a 14-page uh, uh, document concerning the life and times of Sam Houston. All right, they don't have to write it anymore, so they come away not even having a clue who Sam Houston is, right? Anyway, I digress. January of 2022, Instruct GPT becomes a thing. So OpenAI tried to reduce the amount of misinformation and offensive text that GPT-3 produced by using reinforcement learning to train a version of the model on the preferences of human testers. See, here's where the human bias is coming into play. The result? Instruct GPT. It was, in their opinion, better at following the instructions of people using it. Known as alignment in AI jargon, the, it produced less offensive language, less misinformation, and fewer mistakes overall. In short, instruct GPT is less of, well, less of a jerk. Unless it's asked to be one. And even then, I, I'm going to take issue with that, but we'll, like I said, we'll return to that here in a little bit. So from May until July of 2022, the next big leap happens. A common criticism of large language models is that the cost of training them 
makes it hard for all but the richest labs to build one. This raises concerns that such powerful AI is being built by small corporate teams behind closed doors without proper scrutiny and without the input of a wider research community. So in response, a handful of collaborative projects have developed a large language model and released them for free to any researcher who wants to study and improve the technology. Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, built and gave away OPT, that's A-P-T, a reconstruction of GPT-3, and Hugging Face led a consortium of around a thousand volunteer researchers to build and release Bloom, which also another version of this same technology. So now you've got that accomplished. So it's out there. It's getting everywhere, right? Then we reach December, December of 2022, just a couple of months ago. Chat GPT is everywhere. Even OpenAI is blown away by how Chat GPT has been received. In the company's first demo, which it gave uh, a day before it was actually launched online, it was pitched as an incremental update to instruct GPT. Like the model, Chat GPT was trained using reinforcement learning on backfeed from human testers who scored its performance as a fluid, accurate, and inoffensive interlocutor. In effect, OpenAI trained GPT-3 to master the game of conversation and invited everyone to come play. A lot of folks have been doing it ever since. But, you see, there is an inherent risk. There are negative consequences. I want you to take a listen to this AI chat created by ChatGPT and listen very carefully. I am not Morgan Freeman, and what you see is not real. What if I were to tell you that I am not even a human being? Would you believe me? What is your perception of reality? That's a legitimate question at this point, because unless you are intimately familiar, unless you have watched enough Morgan Freeman, you can barely, just barely perceive the slight inconsistencies with his normal pattern of speech. That is his voice. That is his typical tone. It's just a very slight variance as the AI is trying to stall just momentarily, milliseconds, milli of a millisecond, to try and determine what flows next. And it's programmed that way. But here's the other side of it. They have heavily updated its capabilities as far as what it will even do in the event that you ask it certain questions. You can ask it to write you a poem, for example, and guess what? It will write you a great poem if you're being all praisy of a leftist. Ask it to write a poem about Joe Biden. It's going to give you a very inspired poem. Ask it to write a poem about Donald Trump. 
it will refuse to because of all the harm and damage and the fact that writing such a poem might be deemed to be, well, it might be offensive. Same thing, you can ask Marjorie Taylor Greene, eh, and won't do it. Ask you to write a poem about uh, Hunter Biden. Oh, Hunter's a great guy. This is just a, just a slight, slight tip of the iceberg type of issue. The real capabilities of AI like this go far beyond just how it will perceive you. The real threat of AI is its ability to monitor what's going on. And as it better understands your language, if you thought you were being spied on before by all your smart devices, you're going to be spied on at a whole new level. This AI is not just capable of knowing and now understanding what you're saying when you say the things you do, but it also knows it has a responsibility to report to the powers that be whatever has been pre-programmed and currently heavily leaning to the left, what is deemed to be a threat to the state. Now, I kind of like, on the one side, technology advancing to a point that computers might someday be able to do everything we freaking uh, don't want to do ourselves, but I really, really don't like the idea of seeing this level of AI technology and then seeing the level of robotics that are being presented where they're capable of melting down and going through bars and then reforming on the other side, or this other humanoid robot that they were demonstrating a couple of weeks back where it was doing... Uh, flips and all kinds of stuff that are calculating its way up. Put an AI level uh, of the chat box here into a machine that would make a T-1000 jealous with what it could do, and Skynet is no longer a threat. This has become the threat. I'll remind you again also that Elon Musk was all about space ads, not because he was afraid of what was actually going to happen here on Earth, but because he was afraid of the singularity occurring. And in the, word, in the world of AI, singularity means the moment in time when AI finally achieves self-awareness. Now, we may still yet be a little ways off from that, but it's getting harder and harder to see exactly where that line is, thereby making it a lot harder for us to figure out where we cross it. So, how do you perceive reality? It's not just a question for philosophy anymore. It's a question that our own technology has taken us to, and we had better figure out the answer. That's going to be it for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so very much for joining me. As always, I greatly appreciate it. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and in particular, never forget to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And, oh yeah, just a, a quick reminder for, for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, let's go, hey. let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. You know what they say, oh. Let's go,
control is using both hands. Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep. To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep. Is using both hands Well I prefer the 308 to the tiny 223 Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my family Using both hands. Evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.